Here at Sanctuary Spa, we know how stressful life can be. Rushing around, no time for us. That's why we've developed a new generation of body moisturization for modern life. Apply Sanctuary Spa Wet Skin Radiance Jelly straight from the shower for daily exfoliation and hydration with our new two-in-one gel, locking in three times the moisture, leaving your skin radiant. Make it part of your routine. Just shower, apply and dry. Sanctuary Spa Wet Skin Radiance Jelly. Available now exclusively at Boots. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on the podcast today is we're going to talk about what we've been watching, move on into a few film news items, and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Steven Soderbergh's newest film, Logan Lucky. Uh, so that's the plan for today. Find more of our episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast.gmail.com. Also, find us on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash slash filmcast, twitter.com slash slash filmcast. That's where you can follow us for all the latest developments. Uh, guys, it's been a while since the, the whole crew has been together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a yeah. couple of weeks. Uh, Davinia, you went to Germany, right? For, uh, I've been to Germany. I've been back, and that was a hellish trip for Gamescom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, why was it yeah. a hellish trip? Literally everything that could go wrong, like on doing an international trip, went wrong. So this is the missed the flights. Things were late. They lost my bags. It was all fun stuff. But Gamescom itself was fun. All right. Uh, well, yeah. good good to hear. I have been violently ill for about a third of the entire summer. Uh, okay. I got I got the flu, and then uh, I thought I beat it, and then I got a sinus infection. It came back with a vengeance. Oh, man. Uh, so I was sick almost continuously for like three weeks, and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my whole life. Uh, it's it's like I, the worst worst health summer I've ever had. So I actually got sick uh, during our week off as well, which was good timing because I this never happens to me, <laughs> but I lost my voice. Ooh. I, it was awful, and I had booked a a pretty significant voiceover job, and uh, it was a little crazy. It was I was a little touch and go. I was taking steroids the doctor prescribed steroids to try to get my voice back it was nuts so we've all had roller coaster rides but you know we should say nothing compares uh to what's going on in houston right now and our our hearts go out to all the people who have friends and family going through that so uh, we should take a second and just acknowledge that uh all of our (laughs) troubles pale in comparison to what's happening to uh to those people that are dealing with hurricane harvey so uh Mm -hmm. You know, our, our best wishes go out to them. If you're listening from there, uh, we hope you are well and that you're staying safe. Uh, all right. Well, guys, um, let's move on with the show. It's been so long since we've done uh, what we've been watching. Uh, we've been watching a bunch of things. I'll start us off. I had a chance to watch a movie called Good Time. You guys heard about this? It's directed by the Safdie mm-hmm. brothers. Very interested to see this. Yeah, I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, um, I will just read the plot summary from IMDb. It's one sentence. A bank robber finds himself unable to evade his pursuers. That's the premise of the movie. Uh, it stars Robert Pattinson, and I really like this movie. This is an indie movie. A24 is releasing it, and I thought it was 
really well done. Devinger especially, I think, would really enjoy this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm set... looking forward to it because I love, like, crazy New York. Yeah, it, it's set in New York. New York is, like, a really significant part of the movie. Uh, and it, it, is it, shows, is it like another character, Dave? It's like another, it's almost like a character, mm. its own character with I its see. own like inner life. Anyway, uh, it's a, a great part of the movie because of the way it's shot and lit. It's, it shows you a side of New York that you usually don't see. Uh, in these kinds of movies, it's it's like very gritty and dark, and it feels like it's lit using only available natural light. Uh, so anyway, uh, Robert Pattinson is amazing in this movie. I mean, like. I would say he has fully made the leap from you know Twilight heartthrob to uh, a, a legitimate acting force that that mm-hmm. it must be reckoned with. Between this and Lost City of Z, I think he's shown that he can really and, and you know even you could argue like other movies that he's done like The Rover, uh, he really can uh, immerse yeah. himself into these roles in a way that I find very impressive. So he's done a bunch of Cronenberg stuff. Like I, I'm actually impressed by how much he's worked to commit to just doing like really weird, odd roles. And that's the sort of thing where when you're one of the biggest stars in the world, you know, it's, it's rare to see somebody step back and do that. Yeah. Like he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. You know, he could just mm-hmm. coast on his celebrity, uh, but he chooses not to. And that's kind of inspiring. So he is amazing in this movie uh, and really like is, is un- almost unrecognizable. Uh, but the way this movie moves, good time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give away pretty much nothing about it and just say that this movie moves. There's a lot of momentum to it. And I really appreciated the racial subtext as well. Uh, like, basically, Robert Pattinson plays a white dude, um, but throughout the course of the movie, takes advantage of, abuses, and does other bad things to minorities. And it's kind of a commentary on white privilege in a lot of ways. Uh, and so I really appreciated the movie and I would recommend you check it out. The movie's good time, and it's available in limited release right now. So... Uh, that's good time. Moving on in terms of what else I've been watching this week, uh, had a chance to check out Icarus. Jeff Kanata, I think you also saw this, right? I did indeed, and that blew me away. So Icarus, uh, let's talk about what exactly uh, the plot of this movie is. It's a documentary that's available on Netflix directed by uh, Brian Fogel. Uh, and I'll read the plot summary again from IMDb. When Brian Fogel sets out to uncover the truth about doping in sports... A chance meeting with a Russian scientist transforms his story from a personal experiment into a geopolitical thriller. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like crazy, and, and it is. It's, it's it is a crazy, crazy yes. story. It's it one of those. It starts out crazy. It's the, the <laughs> original premise he set out to do, and I didn't really know much about this when I watched it. I, I, I somebody had told me to watch it, and uh, the the poster that you see, you know, when you load up Netflix was, was very like, Oh, Oh, look at that Russia. Huh? But, uh, the movie doesn't start there where it starts is already something pretty crazy and insane. And then it gets even crazier and insaner. And it is, it's, it's one of those documentaries where the events are happening in real time, you know, to the, to the people that are documenting it. And you get wrapped up in this crazy swirling, unraveling, mystery and it is it's quite something yeah uh i I, th- I think it's definitely worth watching because the story is so interesting and i'll just I, I will i will tell you what the premise of that first part is is that he tries to prove that the whole anti-doping situation in cycling is uh is beatable by doping himself uh and his plan is to is to dope himself win 
a race without his doping being detected. <laughs> like that's that's well, his well, point. Yeah, I think moreover, he's basically trying to set out to recreate a lot of what Lance Armstrong did, but do it on the amateur level so that it's not a big deal, but to prove how how it was done, to show exactly how it was done. And he sets out to get experts that will let get, give him a regimen of human growth hormone and steroids and all the things that – well, not all the things because I think you know um, Lance Armstrong got into like blood swapping and stuff, which he doesn't seem to do. But a, a real uh, regimen of doping that he will then take to the amateur level to just try to improve his own time from the previous year. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the first ten minutes of the movie, <laughs> uh, and but that I, already is nuts. Like, yeah. just that idea of uh, you know, it's kind of uh, it's, it's super like super size me. me, but you're injecting yeah. doping drugs into yourself. <laughs> yes, right? yes, uh, super size me for a human growth hormone. It's crazy. So uh, I'm not going to say anything that happens after that moment in the movie, except to say that the events are fascinating and have massive geopolitical implications the, like a- according to the movie which i don't know that i fully buy according to the movie <laughs> world changing implications right oh, like this well, is what happens in the movie i will say this and without tr- trying not to give away anything i will say that things that you read in the news now at least for me become starker and clearer based on what is possible that this movie shows this movie shows mm. things a, a level of conspiracy, a level of organization, a flagrant disregard for rules that have application to a whole range of things that we now hear in the news. And it is a lesson. I think it's, a, it's an oblique sort of sideways view into what certain world leaders are capable of. And I was completely blown away by this, this documentary. Yeah, you know, I mean, I appreciated it. I think everyone should go see it. Um, but it's one of those movies where I liked the story more than the storytelling. Uh, and that's largely because I felt like the editing uh, towards the second two-thirds of the movie, or the, the latter two-thirds of the movie, uh, I, like, I prefer my stories to be more linear. And I felt like this movie jumped around and tried to provide all this context in a way that uh, I just didn't enjoy as much as a lot of the other documentaries that I watch, uh, which are more kind of linear stories. Um, mm-hmm. So I, this is one of those movies where I was like uh, – someone, uh, someone who tweeted at me when I was talking about this on Twitter said like this guy won the documentary lottery, right? Stumbled upon a story kind of. so incredible uh, that I- even if you tell it really poorly, it's still going to be an amazing film. Uh, I don't think he told it really poorly. I think he did a, a fine job. But it's not one of those movies where I thought to myself, like, the filmmaking is truly incredible. I thought it was just okay. But this, the story itself is so amazing that everyone needs to go check it out because uh, it has, again, profound implications for what's going on in the world today. So Agreed. Um, yeah. That's Icarus. It, uh, I mean, Jeff, what, what did you think of the filmmaking? You know, like, did you – I, I I'm not as – no, I'm not as critical of it as as you. I I, I found it to be more than competent, and I, I mean, it, I perhaps you're right that the circumstances do all the heavy lifting, but I kind of feel like that's splitting hairs. It's kind of irrelevant. Like what what is what is the most compelling part? Because it's so compelling. The end result is so compelling that I mean, I put this on on the plane, 
I I did you know the glorious 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 Netflix preload onto your iPad right. thing, which I absolutely adore now. Uh, and I watched it on a plane, and um, I wasn't sure I was going to watch it because it had been recommended to me by a friend, and they're just like, I'm not going to tell you anything about it, just watch it. And I was like, okay, well it doesn't hurt me any to preload this along with you know 17 other things on my iPad. And uh, I started watching it, and it's one of those things where I couldn't turn away. I mean, I was like breathlessly watching every twist and turn that happened. And for me, whether that is because of deft filmmaking and deft editing or just uh, incredibly compelling circumstances, it's kind of irrelevant because I didn't find it distractingly bad and I didn't find it, you know, I I didn't think anything detracted from what is just a absolutely riveting story. So. Awesome. Well, again, that's Icarus, and it's available right now on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Ozark. Saw the first two episodes, and I thought they were incredible filmmaking. I just thought this mm-hmm. this is a very strong opening couple of episodes for a new show. Uh, I tweeted about how much I loved it, and Jeff, the response was crazy polarized. I mean <laughs> – really. Uh, it was probably about half and half. Half the people I'm little, said I'm a little polarized on it. Yeah, yeah. Half the people said it's amazing all the way through to the end. I think Dan Trachtenberg actually said that as well. And friend of the show Dan Trachtenberg. That, and that's I, what I would say. And uh, and the other half said it gets progressively worse and is like really really terrible at the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I disagree. Yeah. So it, it it was like half and half. I didn't know who to believe. Uh, but you know, I'm just gonna keep watching it until uh, until I get not interested in it that being said jeff i know you also finished icarus i'm sorry not icarus uh ozark right recently i did yeah um my wife and i got hooked on that show and i you know i came away from the first two episodes as enthused as you sound to be uh i think the first two episodes are the high watermark for the for the show until maybe the finale but it is excellent all the way through i know davindra had some qualms about it feeling a little derivative of breaking bad or something i I don't. I don't feel that. I thought it carved out its own niche, and uh, there is a moment in the finale that is as powerful a moment on television as I've ever seen. It is. It had me emotionally distraught, uh, and I, I. The thing I love most about Ozark is there. I may have said said this before. Forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but. Um, there, this has become a genre, right? The sort of every man in an extraordinary circumstance, the guy who – the breaking bad guy, the guy who is doing – who is sort of an, uh, a relatable mm-hmm. normal person but is in extraordinary sort of underworld circumstances. Um, and almost always the game of those shows is how long can that person maintain the lie, you know? The Americans, they're living the normal life and their neighbor is a FBI agent and uh, how long can, can they maintain the lie that he's going to come into the backyard and see the crazy thing that they left there? You know, Walter White, he's, his, his brother-in-law is the guy who's investigating the thing. How lo- and it's always like this web of lies that they're maintaining. What I think is so cool about Ozark is Jason Bateman's character, his response – to a crisis is almost always to tell the truth. And it's such a cool tactic. Like I've never seen (laughs) a show go with that. He tells the truth and it it is, it is so different than I've ever seen a show handle that. And it's so 
puts me back on my heels and seems so unexpected and is such a bold, brazen response to to crisis. I just I love how unique and interesting that is and how on the edge that feels. It's like, oh, my God, this character is literally just saying what is really going on to a person. Uh, it's it's I loved it all the way through. I can't wait. I'm so excited that there's a season two they've announced. Um, I, I just think this is a new a new favorite. That's Ozark. It's on Netflix. And I don't know which half you fall into, whether you're the love it or hate it half. Uh, but you, you can be in between. Uh, yeah. I'm a little in between. Right. I mean, how many episodes? Have it's you it's not all black and white. I've, I've seen three episodes so far. There's definitely a moment in the second episode that just had my bullshit meter kind of all the way up because it, it, you know, there are aspects of it that are definitely unique. But this, this show is breaking bad, guys. Like it's it is just breaking bad. But the pretty much you're at the final seasons and the entire family kind of knows what's up. Um, I wish there was more to set it apart. And that's the thing. Like, I just keep having this nagging feeling like, oh, man, this is so much fun, but it's really plot heavy. It never gives you time to like I, I never really cared about the characters or what they were really getting into because it just thrusts you into it. Right. Whereas, you know, Breaking Bad and most other shows you have that build-up period. You have a little time to kind of get used to what's happening. Yeah, Breaking so, Bad would take like a whole season to get to yeah. where the pilot begins, you know? Yes, uh, for sure. Seasons worth. Uh, you know, that, that being said, I am still under its its spell right now, and yeah. we'll see how long it takes for that spell to wear off. It, it, it is, it is – somebody described it as like a Netflix algorithm show, right? Did you like <laughs> sitcom star in drama <laughs> – about doing bad things to protect family well have we got a show for you um and i that that kind of just always stuck with me it is enjoyable it's it's really enjoyable um yeah i I just wish it was a little more that's all i was asking for yeah all right uh well that's what i've been watching uh jeff we've already talked about a few of the things you've been watching uh it looks like you've also seen the new ducktales right yeah, they made the first episode available on YouTube. Did either of you guys watch it? Nope. Is this nope. like, did you watch Wait. it with your kid or did you just watch it by yourself, Jeff? No, my kid is under sub one. He's not watching anything. He can still yet. understand. No, he can't. Okay. He can't. Uh, I, and, and I think, honestly, to be quite honest <laughs> with you, I would bet a significant portion of the audience of the new DuckTales is people my age who remember the old DuckTales. I think oh, it yeah. is yeah. it is clearly aimed uh, to uh, capture nostalgia uh, as much as it is to capture new new kids. Um, but it's great. It's really fun. And I, I'm not entirely certain I love the new art style. It is a very flat – Thin looking art style, if you know what I mean. The is old it CG or is it anim- like no? It's 2D? it's two D art, okay. um, but it the old Disney style was very colorful and very rounded. Like everything was shaded and it felt chunky. You know what I'm talking about? Those old Ducktail cartoons. There, mm-hmm. everything feels rounded. Uh, this feels flat. This feels very 2D. Very um, hard edges on everything. Very kind of pale um and i don't know if i'm entirely oh, yeah. in love with that yet it's very modern this is a very yes. style but yeah yeah it's almost minimalist in a lot of ways um so i don't know how i feel exactly about that but i, I think all the voice work is excellent although i'm very jealous that i was not called to do donald <laughs> anyway um yes. nice thank you 
Uh, and it, uh, but are I you get, okay? Are you okay? <laughs> oh, I can do this all day. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty says, good, but, but you know, I'm also afraid that you're hurting yourself, Jeff. I, I want this oh. for the Logan Lucky review, just all of it. <laughs> just yeah. do all of it as Donald. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it's great. Uh, all the favorites are back. Um, there are some some real uh, real fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's a fun nostalgic trip for me. I, I dig it, so I'm I'm into it. Yeah. Also, uh, the Vanity Fair recently released a, a story called "The Story of the Ducktales Theme: History's Catchiest Single Minute of Music." That was a catchy theme song. That's a great piece. Yeah. How yeah. could you 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 can't deny it? It is. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. <laughs> Yeah, race cars, lasers, aeroplanes—it's a, it's duck, a duck blur. blur. Yeah, yeah, it really is duck blur. Because how the hell else are you going to rhyme duckberg? <laughs> <laughs> what is a I duck mean, that's, blur? That's my question. You've written yourself into a corner what? <laughs> by it's just a bunch up, of ducks running around. Yeah, bringing yeah. up the name of the town. Yeah. Why yeah. did we have to write it in duckberg? Ah. Yeah, that, that is tough. But they—they they wrote themselves out, Jeff. They, they wrote did. themselves up. It's just as easy. By inventing the concept of duck blur. It's a uh, duck blur! <laughs> <laughs> Devinder Hardware, what are you watching this week? Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about Game of Thrones, uh, now that Season 7 has ended. Um, I uh, It's funny, like I enjoyed most of the season, but I'm seeing a lot of commentary, especially from you, Dave, about how much it's fallen. And I can totally see that, although it's funny that I guess um, it's funny that you love Ozark so much where Game of Thrones feels like it's doing so many of the same things, like just how plot heavy the season has been. Uh, and I can see how that's kind of jarring, right? It doesn't feel like the same show it was for the first few seasons because things are happening so quickly. Uh, characters are moving around much faster and like plot lines that they've been, you know, they've been simmering for a while are finally done. Uh, and that gives the show a very different feel. And the fact that we didn't have as many episodes, although we had a couple extra long ones. Uh, I think all that like just made the season feel a little rushed, but there's still moments of greatness. There's some amazing moments this season. And I did feel like I, I think I felt more fulfilled with this one than like maybe the last two. Uh, the last two seasons? Yeah, the last two seasons. Just because it feels like we're actually going somewhere rather than just kind of, you know, worrying about the inevitable winter and, you know, the army of the dead that's been marching south since season one. Uh, it does feel like things are happening and we know why they're happening and they're kind of justified and grounding characters and logic. So I dig all that. Um, I wish this season had more room to breathe. That's the bigger problem. Because, yeah, some things do happen super quickly. I saw um, Emily Newitz, who's over at uh, Ars Technica now. She's describing it as more like a CW show where things just kind of happen, like in a single episode. Like, you know, people will fall in love and then hate each other. And then, like, uh, all this redemption will happen in a single episode. And we're just kind of moving so quickly. So I can understand why, you know, you may be disappointed with the season. But no, uh, yeah, the, to, be clear, to be clear, to be clear, I was hugely disappointed with the season. But it was uh, not because uh, things were moving quickly. It was because, in my opinion, characters were behaving uh, illogically and against kind of what the show had set up those characters mm-hmm. to be like. So, uh, so it wasn't about the the fast moving around like that. That's mildly irritating, but it's not a, a deal killer for me. Well, not even the fast moving around. It's more like, you know, every time people see each other, like they recount their history. Like, right, oh, you right. remember when we we fought this battle in season <laughs> yeah. two? 
and you left me in season four. How exactly. dare you? It's like, like let's let's just get straight to the plot. Cut the foreplay. Yes. Let's just talk about how we're related. It's you pretty know, much in terms all of plot. plot. Um, but uh, there's certainly a lot of great things about this episode, uh, this season, I should say, and uh, some really spectacular, memorable set pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, it was not a, a, a total waste of a season by any measure. I will say, very much like Ozark, this mm-hmm. is a season, I feel, that has really cut the... Uh, the Game of Thrones fandom in half. Um, I, Jeff, I saw you rapturously celebrating, you know, episode five of the show. There's only seven episodes this season. But I, I saw you were a big fan. And then it looked like uh, there were a bunch of people that really gave you crap about that opinion based on your future, like, <laughs> subsequent tweets. Yeah, um, well, I, I that's true. I mean, I, I, it's it's whatever. People are entitled to their opinions. It's fine. Uh, I think I think this is the best live-action fantasy set show of all time or anything fantasy set anything i mean i think it trumps it trumps uh uh lord of the rings films i think it's it's better than them it's it's it is it's doing fantasy in a live action way better than anything has ever done it before and this is coming from a guy that is had you know trumpeted the books and was always a book devotee i will say it is going to be very interesting if we ever know and i think that is an if not a when if we ever know what Martin's mm-hmm. involvement here is or how much they diverted from what Martin may or may not have done because there are so many moments in this season now that he, we are unshackled from knowable text uh, that seem like if Martin was in control, that character would have been dead and mm-hmm. this the show saves them miraculously at the last second and uh, I don't feel like Martin was ever uh, sentimental enough to do any of that. Uh, he certainly never showed that in any of the books uh, up to the point that he got with the books. Um, I'm sure, you know, I don't know how much, how, how wildly they would divert, but there are numerous near deaths in this season, and I don't mm-hmm. think Martin would have ever really done a near death. He just kind of people just, almost drowning. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, only know, to emerge from the water completely okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, a point point taken, Jeff. Uh, I think uh, Martin's involvement in the last couple of seasons has been uh, almost not non-existent, as is my understanding. Like they they've get, he's told them uh, Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, like here are some things that you have to hit on the way to this ultimate destination. But he you know he was writing scripts for this show earlier on. Uh, and he's definitely not doing that anymore. So well, he's too busy swimming in his pile of money. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And I can understand that. I'm not. I certainly don't don't uh, have any ill will toward the man. He, yeah. he you know, whatever. But I go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, did you see uh, the sick burn that Adult Swim delivered Game of Thrones? Uh, if you watch Rick and Morty, apparently, I think you you saw it that they had yeah. like an in memoriam title yeah. card on the screen like they do that the text on the black screen and it said uh the writing on game of thrones 2011 to 2016 yeah uh, which i, I is would like, i would that is savage guess, savage <laughs> i would venture to guess we're never getting those books um i, I just i just can't imagine he'll he'll even finish any of them mm-hmm. let alone let, winds of winter even i don't think we'll ever even see it uh, maybe that's pessimistic but um that d- doesn't take away from the fact that i find this show to be very satisfying week to week. I think the quibbles that people have are fine and 
are, you know, are, are justified. I, yes, you know, you show me a map of Westeros and show me how long it takes people to get places. Yeah, I get it. Sh- you know, show me some, I, I, I understand not understanding why somebody can come emerge from the water unscathed. Just, we just, because he's awesome, I guess I get, <laughs> I get all those quibbles. Like those are significant. And yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed listening to the, uh, the best of uh, slash from cast that uh, we released last week, and I feel like the Jeff that completely obliterated Chappie would not have been okay with those things that you just said, Jeff Kanata. <laughs> well, okay, but uh, I anyway, think I'm sorry, they, I'm are, they are minor blips in a tapestry that is much better woven than almost anything else. It, it is, it is the seeds. I, 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 <laughs> What Game of Thrones did, because of the writing of George R. R. Martin, is on a level of sort of chess playing, you know, set up this move over here 12 steps ahead of where we're actually going to need it. Um, it's, it's done better than television has ever done that. It just, it just doesn't happen. Um, and and, I, and that, those payoffs, uh, even though you guys maybe think they're silly – those payoffs of a person walking up to another person and going, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time, I find to be incredibly satisfying as somebody who has invested a lot yeah. in both the reading and watching of these characters and understanding I'm not, I'm not saying their, they're not satisfying. I'm saying it's not artful. It's you can, not you can see the, se- you can see the seams a little bit in the show. Exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. Because they're rushing through it. And you just go back and like look at how people talk to each other and like – just the the amount of time scenes had to breathe in the past is just not there anymore. Because yeah, we're, we're we're all about like getting to that conclusion. So you feel you feel the end coming. And I think probably because of that, and because they didn't have as much time as before. You know, they can, but they I think you know I, I I can envision the opposite criticism of like we're just churning our wheels. When is winter coming? We got to get winter here. I, you know, the, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, in a certain sense, and. I do I do wonder how much of the show is a reflection of it no longer mm-hmm. being written from source material because that's a strange transition to make from for any piece of art to say we've been writing something as an adaptation and now it's not that is a weird thing but and so I I wonder how much of that is growing pains into original writing rather than yeah. adaptation writing um, but I also am, am having so much fun with this and, and, and being so satisfied week to week yep. with the payoffs. Cause this is, it was a season of payoffs, like invest six seasons and get these payoffs is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people loved it. Um, and I was not as big of a fan, but Jeff, I, I love that you love it, Jeff. You know, I love that you love it. I don't want to. I, I don't want to bring you down. That being said, this is the season that almost uh, broke my fandom of the show. Um, you were definitely a little, a little. It's like you were on a cliff. You were just ready to jump off. Dave. Yeah, yeah. Can I? Can I ask you a question about that though, Dave? Yeah, sure. How much of that is your doing a weekly podcast, breaking down an episode into its granular parts um i well i would say that uh certainly a, a small part of it but I don't, I don't actually think it's that that big of a component of it i think that uh without getting into details because we've been actually pretty good about avoiding plot details uh talking about it uh there was a scheme let's call it that happened this season 
um, that you're talking about in this last episode. No, 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 no. In like oh, midway, midway through the season, the, the big plan, the, the big plan, <laughs> the big plan, right? It's idiotic. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. It was the dumbest thing that I've ever seen in the show. <laughs> like, like it imperils all these people. It creates all these, as we would call it at my company that I work at, it creates all these downstream impacts. Uh, that are <laughs> literally downstream. Yeah, yeah, literally downstream impacts that are are just like ruinous to a lot of people. Uh, so and, and and characters are just behaving in completely illogical ways that don't match up with anything that we've seen before. Like we, there's characters that behave stupidly who have been set up to be very smart. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I just found all that stuff to be yeah. very challenging to get over. I thought the finale did a lot to bring it back. You know, it, yeah. it, it there, really. There was a nice reversal in the finale because I saw a lot of people complaining about the relationship between two specific characters. Yeah, yeah. Which I think was just badly. Portrayed. It was badly done in the show. Yeah, but and but, then then it was like reversed yeah. in a smart way, I guess, in the finale. But I don't know if it was quite earned. Agreed. Uh, but Agreed it was it was a good said. scene. So that's the thing. Like, I understand it's enjoyable, Jeff. I'm enjoying it. But I think just like with Ozark and kind of what we do here, like as you're eating, you know, <laughs> your fried chicken, as you're as you're eating this meal. Let's let's just think about it. Let's just like okay. Well, the, the way someone uh, yeah. put it on, uh, uh, they they wrote into a Cast of Kings. They said uh, Game of Thrones used to be steak, yes, and now it's popcorn. It's not even it's not even hamburger because hamburgers it's like sliders. Hamburgers it's sliders. Is, sliders. hamburgers are filling. Like popcorn is not <laughs> filling. You can eat a ton of. It's enjoyable, but it's not like as substantive as it used to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, I think that's actually a fair assessment. But I would I would go further, and this is gonna I'm sure. <laughs> in, indict me to a lot of people, oh, but boy. I would say the conversion from steak to fast food happened when it got converted from a book to a television show. Mm, so that okay. that I already accepted that. We are, like we it, are done here, sir. It already you also lost. said it was better than Lord of the Rings at this point, and I, I don't even know if I agree with that. Yeah. It's okay. better than the Lord of the Rings <laughs> movies. Yes. So mm. so so Jeff, to answer, your question, I mean, I've spent over a hundred <laughs> hours podcasting about Game of Thrones. Uh, so. You're like I think you're right on some level that like maybe that could impact my uh, quote unquote ability to enjoy the show, uh, but I think it's because I really love the show. I, I do think it's one of the greatest uh, filmmaking accomplishments ever in the history of you know the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because I love it that. I'm so bummed that they are fucking it up so badly this season. <laughs> um, so you know, you know, like season six, I thought was incredible. I mean, the the finale of season six, mind blowing. Like my mind is still like pieces of my brain are still on the wall from how amazing that season finale was. You know, so it's not like I've lost the capacity to enjoy the show. I just felt like the way they did some things this season really rubbed me the wrong way. So uh, mm-hmm. don't begrudge you guys loving it uh, unless you are part of the group that is like attacking me personally on Twitter and on email. Um, but yeah, a lot of people loved this season. Some people uh, were not as big fans. I think it was a very divisive season. Would you agree that it's a very polarizing season, Jeff? Well, you can't deny that. It's, yeah. I mean, it has nothing to do with the show. That has everything to do with the reaction, and that's reaction is is demonstrable. It is a reaction yeah. to the show. So no, I'm <laughs> it's, 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 it's not in a vacuum. Is it polarizing? It's like, well, it, 
there are two polar sides. So yes, it's polarizing. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, some you know, there's some things that are like universally praised, like Wonder Woman and stuff. That's not Wonder Woman is not a polarizing. You didn't movie. like Wonder Woman. I know, I know, but I was like, so I was on so... this show, Wonder <laughs> yeah. Woman is polarizing. On this, show, that's exactly right. That's exactly correct. On this Everything podcast, Wonder Woman is polarizing. Okay, anyway, uh, Game of Thrones. That's on HBO. Check it out. Um, and uh, I also host another podcast called The Cast Kings about it. Uh, Divinity Hardware. You've been watching more. So- you've been watching some Netflix stuff. I want to hear about Death Note. Yeah. You saw this Death Note. A lot of controversy around Death Note, whether it's whitewashed, um, but and more controversy about whether it's a terrible movie. It's any good, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it is a very terrible movie. It is very bad. And I, I feel bad just for having watched this because I'm a fan of the comic and the and the anime series. And Adam Wingard, you know, I've liked a lot of what he's done. I, I love Adam like, Wingard's work. I mean, yeah, you're, you're next. Yes. Yeah. Love and then movies. you know Blair Witch happened last year, and yeah. that that was kind of kind of a misstep for him. This movie is just so bad. Everything about it feels ill conceived. It kind of takes elements from the anime series, um, the idea that there is this book and you write somebody's name down and you can describe how they die and you have the power to just like make somebody you know kill somebody instantly if you know their name and know their face. That is the basic setup. It is sort of like um, this movie basically turns into Final Destination. As if the, you know, the protagonist was in charge of, you know, how the killings were happening. Uh, I I think it loses a lot of what makes the anime series great because it was always about this, you know, kind of loner kid who thought he could, you know, clean up the world by killing all the bad people. So basically, if you gave, you know, a teenager this power and somebody who would like idolize Batman or a vigilante or something like, you know, they're going to go out and just like kill all the bad people. Right. Because that's going to solve problems. Um it does share that with the anime series and then it just kind of goes off in weird directions and just everything about it. It's terribly written, terribly acted. Nat Wolf, I don't I don't know if I've seen him in things before. I know he's been like a lot of uh, teen films. Uh, he brings nothing to this movie. The only really interesting things going on here are Lakeith Stanfield as L as the he's the super genius detective that it has to try to figure out like how this somebody is somehow killing people remotely. With, with magic, I guess. I don't know. So he's sort of like tough a case, Sherlock Holmes character. Tough case. It is yeah. a tough case. It is a very <laughs> tough case. Magical so you need, deaths, like, huh? The world's best detective to figure it out. And uh, in the anime series, he, he, you know, he's basically a kid, a uh, really eccentric kid who has the power of Sherlock Holmes. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield is playing that character here. I love him. And what he's doing is just like he's a little he's a little zany. He's a little eccentric and perfectly fitting the role. And also Willem Dafoe as the death god that is kind of behind all of this. And just the, like, creepy laugh he gives and his voice, like, he really embodies that character well. But, yeah, everything else about this movie. Margaret Qualley is in this movie from The Leftovers. And I just I just felt so bad for her because <laughs> this movie does nothing for her. The role does nothing. She's just saying the dumbest crap. Uh, it's a shame. Uh, just watch the anime series. It's also on Netflix. Don't watch this thing. It's a waste of time. All and right. uh, as for if it's whitewashing, you know, I, I do think like translating um, a property like this to America and just like completely reinventing it, sort of like The Departed. And, you know, a lot of times foreign films are remade in America. That doesn't feel like whitewashing. If it was still a story like set in Japan and all about Japanese death gods in that way, that'd be a little different, I'd say. Yeah, if it was set in Japan and had white people, you mean? Um, but, yeah. uh, well, I think one of the issues people... I have not seen Death Note yet, but one of the issues people have had is that it borrows Japanese elements, uh, sure. and but it has, it has a white person as a protagonist. 
Um, yeah. So I mean, they could have they could have avoided this by casting you know an Asian American person or something, and that that would have been great. Right. Uh, anybody but Nat Wolf. My God. Well, I mean, Devinder, you have to choose the right uh, actor for the role. So you do. Any, anyway, apparently they We're did do the so this time. Uh, but yeah, role. I've heard a lot of uh, on my Twitter feed at least a lot of uh, people pretty disappointed with this movie, and that's Everything a bummer. Everything about it is just lazy. Yeah, Adam Wingard, I expect more. I expect like great set pieces. I expect like inventive stuff going on. The script is terrible. The direction is terrible. Um, the movie just feels lazy, which is a it's a damn shame. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Death Note. It's available on Netflix and uh, Devendra. Don't watch the def- it. The Defenders. <laughs> I did, yeah. I saw a couple episodes of The Defenders. I'm not in a super rush to finish this, but I have to say, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it is not as inherently fulfilling to me as like Daredevil was or um, Jessica Jones or Luke Cage, but it tries to uh, bring I think, you're, I think you're forgetting uh, Iron Fist in there, Devendra. Uh, I'm, I'm not forgetting anybody. I mean... <laughs> That that just never happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it does bring all these characters together, and I think it does a good job of when it, when it like focuses on the characters. It actually, does a good job of mimicking the style of their show. Mm. So you'll go from like the blue tones of Jessica Jones to maybe slightly more neon red colors from Daredevil, and then the straight to Luke Cage, and the soundtrack changes and stuff. It's a little jarring at first, but eventually they come together. There's a big fight scene at the end of episode three, just like uh, all these series. That I, I think is really fun to watch because it's sort of Avengers like like them all coming together and just meeting each other and using their powers. So it's fun. It's enjoyable. Like this is enjoyable in a way it knows exactly what it is and it's not trying to be anything more than like a pulpy comic you know show. But it is it's a, like it's it's watchable and it's decently written for what it is. It is not like you know, the the horror show that I was seeing with Iron Fist. So it's enjoyable in that respect. I do like that the show doesn't, uh, they all spend time just basically shitting on Iron Fist. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, even though I haven't been a fan of all these Netflix shows, uh, I, I do think it is quite an accomplishment to have launched four different series and then have all those characters come together in a fifth series. Yeah. Uh, and I also mean, Sigourney just... Weaver is in this, by the way, as the like big bad. And just seeing her strut around, being evil, it's fun. Like, that alone is worth watching this show. All right. Uh, well, that's uh, The Defenders, and it's on Netflix right now. Let's move on, guys. Before we get to the news segment of this podcast, got to thank some people who donated to the podcast. Thanks to Mansour, uh, Mansour, Mansour from Saudi Arabia, David S. from Sundiburg, Sweden, Benjamin P. from Sydney, Australia, Francisca Terrell, Andrew Pycroft, Ryan R. from Mesa, Arizona. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks also to new subscribers Jeffrey Grubb, and David Sillen. Hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. You guys know it's crazy? So uh, I follow Jeff on Twitter. Uh, uh, Jeff is apparently a listener of this podcast. I used to work with Jeff, yes. I was at the Amazon All Hands meeting uh, this past <laughs> week. We have, an, we have an All Hands like uh, a couple times a year. And uh, this year they were talking about Prime Day. And on the screen they – projected Jeff's tweet about Optimus Prime. Did you, get, you know what I'm talking about? It was like, <laughs> yes, I do know. His, it was, his greatest accomplishment in life. His, yes. his, his greatest life accomplishment. Um, Until he donated to the Slash Filmcast, that is. The, correct. The correct. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, you know, Prime Day, obviously a day uh, that Amazon has big sales. Uh, but Jeffrey Grubb tweeted on that day, I just worry that people are forgetting what Prime Day is really about and who died to make it possible. And then he has a, fo- a picture of Optimus Prime uh, in his tweet. 
Uh, and th- that was an awesome tweet. It got tens of thousands of, uh, of retweets and favorites. And they projected it on the big screen as a kind of like a jokey moment at, at the beginning of the meeting. It was pretty incredible. So congrats, Jeff, on getting your tweet in front of a bunch of uh, people at my company. Uh, that's awesome. Also, uh, yeah, David Sillen, thanks so much for your uh, subscription at the rate of $2 per month. Uh, if you want to support what we do here on this podcast, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, Use the PayPal links on the side of the page, and you can uh, help us defray the cost of seeing movies, putting on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. So uh, let's move on, guys, uh, to movie news. Now, uh, we haven't been on air for a couple weeks, guys, and as, as I apologize for last time we broadcast, there's just been a lot of news stories that we've kind of missed or haven't been able to be super timely on, but there were a couple things that uh, I felt it was worth mentioning. First of all, Let's talk about something that happened today, I think. There was a Hellboy remake uh, that Neil Marshall was going to direct. And Ed Skrine, I want to say? Ed Skrine? It's, it's screen. Screen? I don't know. I don't even know. Ed Skrine? <laughs> uh, I've seen this guy before. Yes. Yeah. Uh, was going to play the character of Major Ben Damio in the Hellboy mm-hmm. reboot. Uh, and he posted something on Facebook and Twitter. He says, quote, I accepted the role unaware that the character in the original comics was of mixed Asian heritage. There has been intense conversation and understandable upset since that announcement, and I must do what I feel is right. It is clear that representing this character in a culturally accurate way holds significance for people, and that to neglect this responsibility would continue a worrying tendency to obscure ethnic minority stories and voices in the arts. I feel it is important to honor and respect that. Therefore, I have decided to step down so the role can be cast appropriately. A representation of ethnic diversity is important, especially to me as I have a mixed heritage family. It is our responsibility to make moral decisions in difficult times and to give voice to inclusivity. It's my hope that one day these discussions will become less necessary and that we can help make equal representation in the arts a reality. I'm sad to leave Hellboy, but if this decision brings us closer to that day, it is worth it. I hope it makes a difference. With love and hope, uh, Ed Skrine. Or Ed Screen, whatever his name is, however you pronounce it. <laughs> it is Screen, yeah. yeah so I would have never thought that the yeah. uh, protagonist of uh, the Transporter, Transporter Refueled uh, would be outclassing many, many actors in Hollywood. But here we are. Uh, what a class act. Wow. Uh, it, it, you, know, you know what's amazing about this, this announcement is mm-hmm. it shows that that decision – is possible, <laughs> you know, like we've yes. rarely seen in, you know, you don't see like Scarlett Johansson saying or you know, whoever else stepping down from whitewash role saying, you know what, um, Jim Sturgis in 21, he's like, you know what, this character was actually supposed to be of half Asian descent. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this paycheck. I'm not going to act with Kevin Spacey. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, as I've just explained it, that's a difficult decision to make. Yeah. And he, he was uh, the first, uh- can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up With The Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Dario in Game of Thrones, by the way. Correct. So we have seen him. Yeah. Correct. Dario Naharis before he was replaced by uh, Michael Huisman. Um, anyway, so uh, th- that's a possible decision. But as I've just described it, it's a very difficult decision that mm-hmm. almost no one makes. 
Be- especially because, like, in a mild way, you know, he's kind of yeah. kind of throwing people under the bus on this one, right? Yeah. Um, like, you know, he, he basically took a really high road here, and he's forcing the studio's hand to be like, "Yeah, well, what's the studio going to yeah. do now? Like, are they going to yeah. cast like another white person? Because if they if they do, <laughs> that would be uh, pretty bad." That, that's gonna yeah, go bad. Yeah, that poor guy. He'd be like, uh, "Oh, I got the part, I guess." Yeah. Oh yeah. no. But now, what do I do? do but I yeah, there's a reason. Down? There's many reasons why uh, people don't do this. It's because uh, they're obviously giving up the money and the prestige that comes mm-hmm. with an acting role in a big movie. But also, it puts the producers and the studio in a difficult situation. And uh, Hollywood's all about relationships, and so there's a reason why people don't do it. But dude, Ed Scrine, man, props, yeah. respect. Respect. Yeah. That's awesome. This is, and by the way, like people, whenever I bring up stuff like this to you, like uh, talking about diversity and inclusivity and, you know, seeing yourself represented on screen, a lot of people just think I'm complaining, right? They think, uh, I don't know, like they're tired of hearing it in a way, or what's the point of bringing this up when we know what the problem is? But guys, it's this relentless harping, <laughs> as we do on this show. It's and being on a the pain internet. in the ass nonstop. That makes change possible. That's right, and <laughs> that that forced Ed Skrine off the Hellboy reboot. No, I'm just uh, go ahead. Jeff. I think I think this guy did a really stand up thing, yeah. and it, it's at very very admirable and selfless of him, uh, which is rare in Hollywood. But I also don't think it should be the actor's responsibility. It is it is clearly not the actor's responsibility. It should. Well, yeah, I, I, I it agree. Shouldn't it be. shouldn't be. Yes. I agree. It shouldn't be. Uh, and in this, you know, in this case, it was. He he took it upon yeah. himself to do it. But he did, and yeah. that is an extraordinary step to take. And I think he should be pl- applauded for for recognizing that and doing something extraordinary. But uh, I, I mean, it, you can't you can't put this at the foot of a person accepting a job. Like it's not. Their their responsibility. It's the job seekers' responsibility. I agree. I agree. And and when you see, uh, I mean, it's starting to spill into that a little bit, uh, Jeff. Like what you're describing. But I think for the most part, it hasn't. The, the, like the actors haven't been attacked as much as uh, uh, right. the producers. No, you're right. In gen- in general, there are exceptions. Mm. Um, but well, uh, like, I know, like when uh, Scarlett Johansson made a couple statements around Ghost in the Shell that were really tone deaf and. Uh, What's her face from uh, Aloha as well? Yeah, Emma, it was, Emma Stone. It was not great. Um, Emma Stone. Ma- Mandy Patinkin uh, recently exited a Broadway production because he was that was re- yeah uh, was replacing uh, an actor uh, uh from Hamilton. Um, no, I was mm-hmm. didn't even try to pronounce his last name. My pronunciation is awful. Sorry about that, guys. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think like people are starting to apply pressure to actors. Uh, but I I agree, Jeff. It's really not up to the actors. You know, it's up to the producers, the people responsible for the project. When the actors do take it into their own hands, uh, it is a it is a nice bonus. Anyway, all right. What else is happening? Uh, biggest news story that's been kind of rippling through the, the movie industry is that the Joker origin movie is in the works, uh, directed by Todd Phillips and produced <laughs> by Martin Scorsese. Uh, and it's gonna be one long hangover movie, isn't it? He just wakes up and he's the Joker. You well, say the- produced by Martin Scorsese, and then you move on. Like that's not a weird thing. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's all weird. It's yeah. all weird. It's gonna be written, co-written so- by uh, Scott Silver, who wrote Eight Mile, uh, and he's gonna write it with uh, Todd <laughs> Phillips. And this is like the kind of second 
weird DC universe news story to come out in the last couple of weeks. Matt Reeves made some comments like that he was he kind of implied that the the Batman trilogy he's making would not be part of the DCEU or mm-hmm. the the DC cinematic universe. Uh, and then later had to clarify his remarks saying, "No, no, no, he's definitely part of the DC universe, of course." Um, I just mean there's not going to be a bunch of cameos from characters from other movies. I, I would argue that Reeves's comments have rendered the concept of DC Universe to be almost meaningless. I mean, I, I think that uh, the way they're going about this is certainly interesting. Uh, apparently, this Joker is not going to be the same one as the one in Suicide Squad. So it's like a different Joker from the Suicide Squad. It could be a different Batman. It's probably not going to be I, – I would bet money it's not going to be played by Ben Affleck, the Matt Reeves Batman. You know, so it, it feels like there's not going to be any continuity between these movies. And on the one hand, that's annoying because, guys, come on, like tell a continuous story like what Marvel does. But on the other hand, hey, this studio is not doing what Marvel does. They're doing something completely different. They're reimagining these characters and their origin stories uh, and having like really you know individual movies that focus on a very specific part of these characters' lives, um, and the style can be really different, unlike Marvel movies. Could be interesting. What do you think, Jeff Kanata? I think the smartest thing they could do is not chase Marvel. I think I think they should make all of these the best movie they can be for in in the style that they want that are, that's right for that character. It's it's cool they're making Justice League movies. Um, I hope those Justice League movies are good, but I think if you're interested in making the best movie you can make, it's really, really, really hard to make a cohesive universe where the same actor shows up and all the different things. It's hard. It's not easy. <laughs> and why put that on you? <laughs> why even worry about that? It, the, the end result, I think at this point, it's, it's already so muddled and weird. You're not going to get this elegant ramping up that Marvel did. Like that happened. It happened sort of against all odds. It's like a once Marvel, in a lifetime event, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Marvel did it because they didn't actually set out to do it, right? They did it because it sort of presented itself. You know, and it just sort of managed to happen and, and everything fell into place in just the right way, mostly because nobody had ever done it before. So they weren't, you know, forcing it. It just sort of organically came together. And it's amazing. And I love it because I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. But I don't necessarily think that has to be how all these things work. And I think there can be awesome DC movies in, in a sort of quote-unquote universe of films that involve all these characters that don't all have to fit together like a puzzle piece. David, your hardware, any opinion on this? You excited, you excited for this uh, Todd Phillips Joker movie? I, I'm very confused by all these <laughs> names coming together. I, I'm more wondering, like, why Scorsese is involved in this at all. Um, but, yeah, I... Likes money? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of hated everything about the Joker character in Suicide Squad, I don't think going back to the origins of this would be would be at all interesting. I just remember, you know what I was reminded of when I read the story is uh, Kevin Smith joining uh, the Slash Filmcast to review The Dark Knight many years ago, and how when Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight started giving his origin story, uh, mm-hmm. giving the Joker's origin story, Kevin Smith said, "Oh, this is the dumbest thing ever. The Joker doesn't need an origin story." Then Heath Ledger's character, the Joker 
told the origin story again, and it was completely yep. different. And then right. Kevin yep. Smith was like, "This is the greatest thing of all time." You know, right? That no, it went from being yeah, true. It went from being the, like, the least ex- least yeah. interesting thing about the Joker is where he came from. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact that he told it like multiple different ways, it, it's like more demented and disturbing than if he had actually had an origin, like a true origin story, right? Yeah, and it yeah. reveals that thing. Like, the the story that brought me to this place is meaningless. The fact that I'm in this place and insane is what's important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, not too excited about the origin story, but yeah, it is... They're definitely trying stuff over there at Warner Brothers uh, with the DC yeah. Universe, so yeah, we'll see if it succeeds. Uh, okay, uh, we got a bunch of requests to talk about MoviePass. So, oh yeah, MoviePass. For those who don't know, is this subscription service? You pay um, a, a set amount per month, and uh, that you get to see like a movie. I think every day it was right, um, one a day, um, or was it an unlimited amount of movies per day? I wasn't. I'm not exactly sure, but essentially, you'd pay. Between $15 – oh, here we go. Um, 50, you used to be able to pay like $15 uh, for, for like two movies um, and then up to $50 for unlimited movies per month, right, is how it would work. Uh, and, you know, th- those prices were still pretty high for a, a mm-hmm. lot of people. Like $50 for unlimited movies, um, there's not that many people that would, would use – yeah. Movie Pass. Uh, it and, started and around thirty, like when they first launched, right, and then right. it slowly crept up because, like New York, it's super expensive compared to other places. So then, Movie Pass basically got acquired recently um, by uh, what appears to be a data mining company, and they slashed. <laughs> I wonder what they're going to do. They, well, they slashed prices from they they slashed it to ten dollars a month. Ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. flat fee, unlimited movies. I think it's one movie a day, right? Uh, so that's a great deal. And uh, according to Deadline, it revealed what MoviePass uh, subscribership was like before this. It was uh, last December, MoviePass had 20,000 subscribers. So that's very pretty low. But uh, in the last month, they've added uh, over 130,000 subscribers. So now, now, they have, now they have over 150,000 subscribers, right? Uh, so that's like really incredible growth. In fact, the MoviePass website went down repeatedly. Uh, when they announced the big change. <laughs> so the idea is you pay $10 a month, you get to see uh, a movie a day, right? And uh, so, so like, if you see one movie, one movie at night. A month. At night, a month. You're basically, it's already, like, paying for itself. Yeah. Right? It's almost like it's too good to be true, guys. Yeah. Almost well, like somebody got screwed at the company (laughs) well Uh, the the idea is that they will mine the data they're obviously losing money on the tickets but you're giving them valuable um i guess viewer information that they can't get otherwise anyway uh so they're gonna Mm -hmm. then sell that data uh to help teach studios or streaming companies or whoever how to make better movies i guess or, or about movie trends it's very unclear what they're going to exactly do with the data but suffice to yeah. say like it's it's you know the data is now the object now uh, well that's that what's that famous silicon valley quote yeah. that says uh, if you can't figure out what the, what product, the product is, is the you product are the product you. yeah yeah uh so amc has come out and said they're not cool with this plan guys uh, they think that MoviePass is going to devalue the price of a movie ticket over time. They don't want that, which I, I thought was pretty baffling. AMC issued a statement 
uh, that said, uh, from what we can tell, by definition, in absence of some other form of other compensation, MoviePass will be losing money on every subscriber seeing two movies or more in a month. In AMC's view, that price level is unsustainable and only sets up consumers for ultimate disappointment down the road if or when the product can no longer be fulfilled. So I think what AMC is basically saying is you're, you're – We're slashing. looking out for you guys. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're concerned about you. We don't want you to be so sad when you can't do this Yeah, when, when MoviePass fails, you guys are going to be so bummed. You're we're just gonna stop it now, just to make, just to protect you. Yeah, let's just stop from it the now. Future disappointment that you are inevitably gonna feel. Let's just nip that in the bud right now. You know, like no point in letting it go on. Nip it in the bud. Yeah, uh, but so I mean, at, at the same them. time, guys, like, are 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 we surprised that? AMC and other, I'm sure we'll see other big theater companies like come out against. I, this I too. for one, am shocked that AMC is not for incredibly innovative things to change the movie watching experience. <laughs> well, what, what, how does this work? Does anybody know how this worked? Does, does, yes. does uh, Movie Pass mm-hmm. like do they purchase the ticket at, at no. regular so price? So you get from... basically a debit card. Yeah, you get a you debit card. App. Yeah, you have an app. You choose the movie you're going to go see it when you're within range of the theater. Then you go and pay for the ticket with the Movie Pass debit card, and that's basically the entire thing. Uh, the problem is, so what AMC but does the disable, movie theater get the full price? Yeah, value? yes, they, yes, to the movie do. theater, it's the full money. Yeah, yep. from from Movie yes. Pass. Yes, from movie that's Movie correct. Pass yeah. is buying the full price ticket yes. and selling it to you. Yes, for a fraction of the cost. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's the classic money making scheme. Um, <laughs> buy high, sell low, right? Right. I think, that, I think that's job. how it works. Dot 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 profit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's kind of the whole way it works. What movie passed or what AMC disabled was the e-ticket thing, where you could like actually reserve seats through the Movie Pass app. So sort of like what you could do from Fandango stuff. They just killed that. Um, I've been covering Movie Pass for a while, guys. Like since their inception, I've been following this company. I really wanted to believe in it. I've used it for a while. Um, when they initially launched, all the theaters were against them. Like they had a lot of issues, kind of just b- getting support. And even like before this whole uh, buyout and everything, there are still theaters where you'd go to a lot of indie theaters and even certain showings. Like I remember when I tried to see certain Disney movies with it, it just wouldn't work. So there was like support through theaters and even movie studios. I think was kind of all over the place. Then their prices got high, and then like people started getting pissed off because then prices were changing all over the place. Uh, they were sending out emails last year, testing out to see if people would pay ninety nine dollars, you know, um, mm. a month for unlimited films. And depending on the market you're in, if I see you know enough movies in New York, that could actually be worth it. Um, so this is like a big change from all that. Uh, I I don't know what they're going to be doing at this point because I had a couple interviews with the the new CEO last year and you can find those over in gadget he was really big on like his goal was to sell the company and that's kind of what he set out to do and you know that that worked out for them but i don't think this ten dollar thing will last like this company even if their parent company has a ton of money in the bank ready to spend on this i don't think like it's gonna jump up to 15 20 at some point and maybe stay around there that's still a good deal, and I hopefully will settle there and not go much higher. I mean, I, I will say this, you know, Jeff, you, you were, we were joking about AMC, but that's actually one of the reasons I haven't pursued this is because, mm-hmm. like, I, I, obviously it's a good deal yeah. if you see movies in theaters. I have not pursued it because uh, I, I am afraid it will go away. And, and you know, 
it's messy when a subscription service ends and they have all your information. And I don't like my information being out there for a service that's not going to last very long. Um, so it is a little messy, and I don't trust that it's going to last forever. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, Devendra, I think what you're describing is actually a best case scenario where they have to increase prices. But yes. I think a far more likely scenario is this whole thing just stops at, it at falls some point apart. because it feels completely unsustainable from a, from yeah, a monetary but... <laughs> standpoint. I mean, until that point, I think I, I would not. I don't know. I, I don't see why you would stay away because something is awesome right now and it can't stay awesome. I don't know. Yeah. I remember hearing about this like five years ago at a party. Some guy was was talking my ear off about this thing. He's like, I got this movie pass. It's crazy. I get to see as many movies as I want. I'm unemployed. And I see a movie every day. It's amazing. And I was like, this that can't be real. What are you talking about? And I remember uh, learning about it. I never did take the plunge it's kind of uh i think it's cool man if you can get the ten dollars and it can last you even just a couple of months why not yeah it was good for a couple of years and then it got worse so yeah we'll we'll see i'm actually gonna re-up and try it out yeah all right yeah try it out doing your report back report back i mean the the lack of ability to to select an individual seat is a deal breaker for me because i just i don't i don't play that whole go in and pick a seat thing anymore screw oh, that yeah. action yep. so so that that's a big deal breaker and my theater uh, that's literally across the street from my house now is a uh, amc so the the only well, way amc can stop this is so they stopped e- e-ticketing but only um six percent uh e-ticketing is only available at six percent of the locations that support movie pass so yeah. it's not going to make a big difference the only way amc can stop them is if uh they stop taking mastercard which like you're basically not allowed to stop taking like you can't refuse some mastercards and not others so they need to stop taking mastercard altogether if they want to beat this thing which mm. i'm sure there's some ad wizards at amc thinking that up like thinking about how to do that right now uh i i think i mean do we think amc should embrace this guys i feel like they should why not that doesn't feel like there's any skin off their nose it it just feels like it's a net positive for AMC because if a person's yeah, yeah. seeing 30 movies a year mo- most of the money that movies uh, theaters make is off popcorn. the snacks anyway that's popcorn money baby it's raining well, also, popcorn I think a lot if of I'm the only theaters... spending $10 a month I'm going to spend $48 to buy a large popcorn that's exactly how it works <laughs> chef that's exactly yeah. how it works yeah. that actually was movie passes pitch for a long time too like towards theaters like it would really help boost concession sales, and they had a lot of research that that would happen. I remember when I was using it, like, I would also buy the popcorn when I never did. Uh, probably makes more sense for AMC to support it, but I also think a lot of the theaters want to start their own similar, you know, programs. So they don't want to, like, have people signing up for other things when they should be signing up for AMC's thing at some point. Well, I did, like an idiot, sign up for the Stubbs Reward Program at AMC because it's uh, literally across the street from my house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a whole scam because you can still use movie pass by the way jeff because you're if you just like went in the morning and picked a screening for later in the day you can still pick your seat at the terminal so you oh really yeah yes signing up bro there you go all right well you guys are both signing up let let us know how it is on the slash filmcast um but yeah i I think it's awesome like it's awesome i'm very skeptical that it will last but hey you know the the star that burns twice as bright burns half as long and sure. uh, in the case of Movie Pass, it's going to be the star that gives us ten dollars of unlimited movies per month. Um, so, anyway, that's our thoughts on Movie Pass. Stay tuned to the Slash Filmcast for more thoughts in the future. In the meantime, let's get to our review of Steven Soderbergh's Logan Luck. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. I got to let you go. 
You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. The one-armed bartender. <laughs> you need to show a little respect. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Well. Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know. That was from the trailer for Logan Lucky, the new film by Steven Soderbergh, written by Rebecca Blunt. And if you don't know who that is, it's because uh, it, it's not a real person. It's very likely. Uh, it's very likely. Which is how it is. If you've ever not heard of someone, it's because they're not real. That's right. That's always how. That's the only reason you've not heard of someone. Uh, but uh, apparently, it is uh, Steven Soderbergh's wife, Julie uh, Jules Asner, uh, who wrote Logan Lucky. I mean, I don't think that's been officially confirmed, but it is heavily speculated that that is who it is. So, in case you're curious about who Rebecca Blunt is. Uh, that's a, it's it's a pseudonym. So, anyway, mm. uh, Logan Lucky is about two brothers who attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. It stars Adam Driver and Channing Tatum. Uh, so Steven Soderbergh, he has been in the process of retiring from filmmaking for like ten years. Um, How's that going? But, <laughs> but things. Well, no, he retired. Then he made two seasons of The Nick. That's right. That's so. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, I think he did Girlfriend Experience. How many, how many Magic Mics did he do? Uh, he did one Magic Mike. He retired after Magic Mike. Yeah. Oh, Magic, Mike. Magic Mike was his swan song. That's right. Yes. That's right. Uh, but no, he uh, he has kind of expressed his disenchantment. Like, there mm-hmm. is this whole kind of attitude he has about, like, kind of being above the film yeah. industry in a lot of ways. He's like, real, man. He's yeah, a real artist. Like, it's, like, it's almost like he's like, too good for it and and you see that in things like uh the fact that you know rebecca blunt wrote logan lucky you know like he, he like like he likes fucking with people you know um he like well, also according to imdb has three directorial movies in post-production right now <laughs> right right um, so how's that, some people how's that are very bad about retiring okay? that's right that's right that's right so uh you know i, I uh, obviously i'm a huge fan of his work um, I, I like almost every single film that he's made, uh, even some of the lesser known ones. But uh, uh, Side Effects, incredible movie, I thought. Uh, oh, yeah, Con- Side Effects was after Magic Mike. That was his supposed yeah, last. Yeah, 2013 was Side Effects. Uh, Contagion, I thought was great. Haywire came out the same year. Uh, I mean, and, and that's not even going back to some of his earlier work, like Traffic, Ocean's Eleven, Aaron Brockovich. Guy has an incredible resume. Uh, and uh, or filmography, I should say, and I think that uh, he he's definitely someone like when he comes back to filming, quote unquote, back to filmmaking, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. Yeah. So, pay uh, attention. We did. Nick, What'd you say, Demetra? Did you ever see the Nick? Uh, no, I didn't. I have the Blu-ray. You aren't paying attention. I have the Blu-ray, yeah. but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It is quite good. Like yeah. that series is fantastic, and I would have been perfectly happy if Soderbergh would have just like stayed with TV and kept making the Nick because that show's incredible. All that said, 
Uh, I, I'm guessing we're all huge fans of Soderbergh here. So, Logan Lucky, is this kind of upper tier Soderbergh, or is it kind of uh, disposable Soderbergh? What do you think, Jeff Kanata? Disposable Soderbergh. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is... Uh, this is Redneck Ocean's Eleven, is what this is. Ocean's Seven um, Eleven, as it's referred to in the film itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is a clever movie, and if I didn't know it was Steven Soderbergh, I would think, wow, somebody really wants to be the Coen Brothers, really, and just doesn't have the skill set to pull it off. Wow. Um, and, and that's that's harsh because clearly Steven Soderbergh does have the skill set uh, yeah, to be yeah. a master filmmaker. But uh, this movie is very weird. Um, I agree. I yeah. should say that the entire movie is worth seeing just for one Game of Thrones gag that happens yep. in the middle. Agreed. That moment is delightful and fun. And as any fan of Game of Thrones will will be tickled. It's just perfect. I, I, you know, so, I was thinking about like if you didn't watch Game of Thrones, that would be completely incomprehensible. Yes, so, yeah. no, it is so yeah. inside baseball to to such a degree, and it lasts so long <laughs> that people are like, <laughs> "What?" But I love it for that. I love it for how deep nerd it gets, um, and it's a great it's a great gag. So right there, I'm like, I'm happy that I saw this movie just for that. I also think, I mean, it's just you didn't even list all of the the people that are in this thing. It's chock-a-block with recognizable actors, some of which are doing great work, others of which not so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love a good heist movie. I love a good heist. I love just the mechanics of a heist. I've always loved clever mechanics just pure like process movies, you know, that are just, uh, you know, there's a, a James Bond can be like that sometimes. And Ocean's Eleven certainly are like that. You know, like The Sting is one of my favorite movies of all time. I just love cool process, trickery, didn't see that come in. How are we going to get the, you know, even Mission Impossibles are like that, right? Like how are we going to get the thing that's impossible to get? So there is a, a level of joy from that in this movie, but it comes out of nowhere because we do not get any kind of setup that, that the people perpetrating this are of a level of clever or resourcefulness or, or have the resources or have the wherewithal to even attempt the multi layers of brilliance that this movie shows them doing. It's it's very strange. All of the character setups are very strange. They're quirky for what feels like no reason. It's just quirky for quirky sake, which like the Coen brothers somehow managed to pull off and it feels authentic and grounded and real and a slice of life of a very specific subset of Americana that they always managed to figure out a way to like look at from an interesting angle. This feels almost exploitive of, of people that – I'll be honest, I don't genuinely – generally speaking uh, <laughs> much sympathy for, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say. But I almost felt bad like all these big A-list actors are kind of just like putting on redneck face and and, <laughs> and almost making fun of them. Uh, Wait, how? Yeah, there, well, there's a there's a healthy debate online about whether the accents and the performances are condescending to people in the South. 
And I, I, I think I think it's I think it's a, it's a movie about a bunch of idiots that do uh-huh. a, a brilliant thing. And and I and I don't I mean, I I mean, so I'm seeing a lot of your points, though, Jeff. But I have to say, like, cause it, I'm going to talk more about this. But this movie had such a warm heart to it. Like it is so it is so warm hearted in a way like it didn't feel like it had ill will towards this. And I don't know about the accents. That's the thing. I know Ch- like Channing Tatum is from Alabama. Like he could probably give us a good Southern accent if he really wanted to. And I don't think he's, you know, the sort of person that would want to shit on his own Southern heritage either. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure there. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I'm agnostic on this point. Um, I don't think that it was uh, mocking people in the South, but I would also not begrudge anyone who did think that. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying like Mark Wahlberg is like mocking, you know, Boston when he does like a really thick Boston accent. It's like, oh, well. I don't even you- think it's the accents, honestly. I, I think it's more the uh, wall-to-wall trailer park lifestyle that just feels a little, it just feels this a little just how people cartoonish. are living, Jeff. Yeah, I didn't they're, I didn't, they're just trying to live. I didn't Let find it. Live. I, I didn't find it to be condescending, but again, uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't begrudge people that do. And so. you what know, I, a lot what of Coen fi- Brothers movies are also filled with idiots, like just stupid people failing to get their plots going. So yeah, that's the thing. Like I just don't it's know how this cart- movie's very. This different. movie's a cartoon. This movie's a cartoon. Okay. That so so I, I agree. So Jeff, I agree yeah. with a lot of what you said. Yeah. I think my uh, yeah the the big thing I I have a problem with this movie. So I like the movie overall. It's enjoyable. It's a it's a tri- It's a trifle. It's a trifle. It's an inconsequential trifle, uh, but I think that the the thing that kind of bothered me is when you watch like Ocean's Eleven and you compare it to this, I feel like it's it's easier to believe that Daniel Ocean is a criminal mastermind um, more so than it is to believe that you know the main character in this movie. Uh, is uh, Channing Tatum who plays Jamie Logan? Because Daniel Ocean cr- talks real good and was, dresses good. I was gonna say, no, is, no, it, is that revealing? Is that revealing my inner uh, no, prejudices? It's, it's because Daniel Ocean is set up to be a guy who has done this many times, and this is the thing that he does. Right. And this right. guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy is not set up that way at all. He's a he's a dude who just decides one day to do this. And comes up with the most brilliant multi-layered plan any human has ever come up with. I do wish that they is had improbable I, in on every level. I do <laughs> wish they had done more to set up Jimmy Logan's genius early right. on in the movie. Like if they yeah. if they had showed like, oh, you know, he's not good at finding a job, but he's good at X. He's good at Y. He's good at Z. All these things you need to be a criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have made it a, a far better film, in my opinion. But they didn't do any of that. So that was a little disappointing. That being said, Devendra, it sounds like you probably like the movie the most out of all of us. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm I am both shocked and disappointed in both of you. This movie is fantastic. This movie is pure joy. I think of moments from this movie, like I, I just laugh to myself in the middle of nowhere. Like it's it is so it's so joyous and it's so fun. And yeah, I agree that the main plot mechanic of like how this heist went down probably could have been explained a bit better if they had like telegraphed it maybe a little more um but honestly that didn't even feel like that's not what i really enjoyed from the movie i was surprised by how things ended up but i love just seeing these characters and like seeing these two loser brothers trying to like do something with their lives and do something a little different uh i love daniel craig in this movie are you kidding me Daniel Craig is like woken up from whatever coma James Bond has put him in for the past couple of years. And he's having fun. He's playing Cotton Hill from King of the Hill in his like 30s as a bank robber. He's having so much fun. Everyone is having so much fun 
in this movie. Like, I just love the ride. And I think that's it, it's sort of like why I really love Ocean's 12 as well, because I think that movie is just so smart about deconstructing the heist film narrative. And this film isn't as smart about that. But in terms of characters, in terms of like, you know, giving us something that's it feels really familiar and it feels a little pat, but there's more going on there. There's an emotional center to this movie that I think is really strong and uh, re- it, it makes sense why he would do this. Um, it didn't feel condescending at all to me, like uh, about the South or about Southern Americans. And honestly, like that's something I'm starting to recognize more in other things just because I end up spending a lot of time in the South these days with my family. So yeah, everything about this movie just felt so kind hearted and so fun. Um, I will give you guys Hillary Swank, whatever the heck she was doing in this movie. What the hell is whatever she doing? she's doing, it's whatever not, she's it's doing, it's not working. Know. What it's is working. Seth MacFarlane doing in this movie? Yeah, we didn't need Seth MacFarlane. This movie is basically, um, it's like Ocean's Accents. It is just like everybody trying to give us their own like unique accent in a way. It's a cartoon! <laughs> Which is, but... Uh, that's fine if the movie is trying to be a cartoon like so many i I could describe so many coen brothers movies raising arizona like so many other movies are cartoons and this is just one of those and maybe because it's a little light and it's a little fun we think it's trifling but i think you know compared to a lot of the other stuff soderbergh has done uh maybe his more self-serious stuff that hasn't that never really connected in a way i think of like the girlfriend experience the movie uh, that was that wasn't a good movie. It was an interesting experiment, but the way they really connected with that story was doing a TV show of it. So I think on many levels, like this, just really works for me. It's not going to be an Oscar winner or anything. It's not going to be up, you know, next to his awesome run of like Out of Sight and Ocean's Eleven and Traffic. But it's a lot of fun, and honestly, the sort of thing we don't really get as much uh, during the summer these days. All right, well, we're running out of time here, so I got to go straight to spoilers right now. Yeah. Uh, so spoilers for Logan Lucky starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. I have to ask you a question right at the beginning here. Because I do not understand what happened at the end of this movie. <laughs> so uh, my understanding is that uh, Channing Tatum's character, uh, Jimmy Logan, returned a significant part, but not even close to all the money. Yeah. And the, the final scene with uh, Hillary Swank's character, FBI character, who that is, the, that is like a cartoon character. That, that's the character that I feel like, yeah, th- that sells this as a cartoon for me. Is cause she, not yeah. Seth MacFarlane? I guess I guess him too. He, that was pretty rough. The There's Seth a Farland, lot of cartoon stuff in yeah, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so the idea, even though like there's like this incredibly self-serious final twenty minutes of the movie, um, the, uh, the so the idea is that uh, he didn't return all the money. He only returned some of the money, and that uh, the uh, racing track was able to recover the money that wasn't returned via insurance. Yes. Um, because so th- he's somehow an expert in how insurance works also? Yes. I mean, he okay. explains that at the bar at the end, that he <laughs> he put he put together that, hey, if I can sit on this for six months, I'll be yep. fine. Um, Based on not having a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was his, his insight into how hey, all you know, insurance Hey, you know, Jeff, you can go to the library and use the Googles at the library. So I don't know what oh, the problem the is there. Um, yeah. but, so- but Jeff, like, the, it does seem like you're breaking down the movie for the plot. Like, there is so much else going on here. 
So like, here, here's a question. Here. Is, There's nothing else yeah. going on. Did, but plot did the movie. final scene of uh, Sadie, uh, played by Farrah McKenzie, singing Country Road Take Me Home, did that <laughs> work on you at all? Because uh, I think for a lot of people, that's like the emotional core of the movie. That yeah. scene, it's either going to get you or it doesn't. And I think that's going to explain whether you like the movie or not. It was certainly the most obvious song choice to to play at that point. But yes, it it did get me. It got it, me because of her performance and Channing was there and like a, like yeah, all that whole connection worked. You know, Dave, you love to assance things, uh, reconnaissance, all your assances. You like to assance things. There's one assance that nobody has acknowledged, and that is the John Denver assance that's happening. In modern cinema right well, now. Well, here, here is going to be here is yeah, going to be my yeah. uh, my aborted boom goes dynamite joke today. I actually forgot to, to say it, but it, it's it's awful, and that's why I didn't use it. But guys, this week I watched a movie starring Catherine Waterston that prominently featured John Denver's "Country Roads Take Me Home" or "Take Me Home Country Roads" that featured a group of ragtag people entering a complex and trying to escape from it. But enough about Alien Covenant. Let's talk about Logan Lucky. Enough about Free Fire. Let's talk about... <laughs> Catherine Watterson right? was under Free Fire. Yeah, I know, but... I, but <laughs> John Denver. Yeah. John Denver's entering a yeah. place, not being able to get out. There, yeah. There's a John Denver song happening, and nobody's acknowledging it. <laughs> it he has, his, that song has been in a lot of movies this year. It is a very odd coincidence. It's weird. It's, it's as if like his estate just opened it up for, yeah. for a, a, a fire sale or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very odd. Uh, but no, so, that so did scene, that moment did that moment work for you, Jeff? That scene it, where it was it's fine. Listen, I don't hate this movie. I don't yeah. hate it. I, it's 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 fine. It's yeah, fun. that's how I feel. I think, it's, I think it's fine. It's fun. But uh, but no, there's no there's no like uh, emotional catharsis that happens. This this mastermind somehow is becomes the best dad and also thinks of literally every detail, including like. A, a, a ridiculously improbable moment of of distracting police officers while his sister speeds past them, like having hiring a guy to smoke in a thing because he knows the other thing's going to smoke some magical way. He knew the other thing was gonna, like every <laughs> tiny improbable detail he has forethought and planned a way around, like. It's a cartoon, and it's there's some fun in it, but it is there, there's no emotional catharsis when I'm watching cartoon characters. Well, that's why, why I thought the ending was so odd, um, and I'm going to spoil the movie Baby Driver for you guys. So I'm going to give you guys a second. If you're listening right now, you don't want to know the ending of Baby Driver. I'm going to spoil it. Um, so here it comes. But yeah, I wrote about this at my blog, DaveChen.net, about how the ending of Baby Driver and this movie were kind of oddly similar, uh, that... It usually in these movies, like, think of Ocean's Eleven, one of the the mm-hmm. iconic heist movies. These characters, they go, they look at this fountain at the Bellagio, and they walk off their separate ways, and they go off into the sunset, and everything's great. Uh, but we see two movies this year that are heist movies, Baby Driver and, and Logan Lucky, that have not ended that way. They've ended with some kind of protracted justice system, you know, uh, going about doing its thing. And I feel like Heist movies these days feel like the the happy ending of people like going off with their winnings is no longer enough. Like they they because in our world of interconnectedness, like we understand you can't just steal two million dollars and uh, make out scot free without any consequences whatsoever. <laughs> you need to have some kind of consequence. There needs to be some kind of investigation. There needs to be an ambiguous closing shot with Hillary Swank's character. Um, and 
I just I do think it's an odd choice, but it is something that I thought, hey, two two movies this year have done kind of that yeah. thing, and maybe it's becoming a trend what, that they they want to they don't want to do the the conventional heist movie ending anymore. Right. What are we supposed to think about Hilary Schwenk's character? That she is going to continue to pursue them, or yeah, that she is somehow I, charmed by them in that last moment? I, I mean, it seems like she's figured it all out, right? Yeah, but yeah. they don't know who she is. And it just feels like she is waiting for the ball to drop. She's waiting for somebody to make a mistake. And, you know, it's it's ambiguous, but I think it, it's kind of an interesting way to leave this. I agree. I agree really with Devendra. It kind of, it, it kind of compliments, uh, complicates this happy ending in some ways, yeah. which which I just think is just odd. Like, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a fun trifle. I find it odd that they're ending with this, uh, you know, this kind I of mean, very, very, like, ominous ending of Hilary Swank being there at the bar. I don't, it just seems kind of, yeah, it's sort of like the way Out of Sight had that sort of cat and mouse relationship. Uh, it does feel like something like that. It, does, it doesn't feel inherently ominous, but more like, yeah, she's going to have fun chasing them down. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I just, relating, I, it to, <laughs> like, relating to Baby Driver, by the way, like it's, that ending worked, didn't work even as well for me. Like just because that ending worked really hard to try to like completely nullify everything wrong that baby did like that movie worked really hard and then there are deeper conversations too like could a character actually do all the damage he did and just like get away after a couple of years even with character witnesses and everything right uh whereas this one like it's it's more uncertain i think the uncertainty is more interesting like baby got out he did his time he got out of jail he can live a happy life we don't know where these go- these characters are going, and I think that's a lot more interesting. I, I, I would think also that... like go ahead, Jeff. No, I just you're still on that topic. Go ahead. I was going to change the subject. Go ahead. Well, I think that uh, Ocean's Eleven did a lot of aspects of this movie better. Uh, Brian Davids in the chat room is pointing out like maybe Seth MacFarlane should have been the guy they were robbing. I agree that like Andy Garcia's character in Ocean's Eleven made a great villain, and that's kind of missing from this movie. You know, but they have it all, system, right? They, guys, they have it both ways because he, they, every literally every bow that can be tied up is is tied up. I mean, he they screw over that guy that wronged them for in a bizarre like. Why did they walk <laughs> into that bar at all? Like what? Every little thing is is so perfectly like this guy. This guy. Not only came up with the greatest heist in history, he also figured out a way to break someone out of a prison, like and 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 managed to talk <laughs> talk all of the prisoners into being complicit for no apparent payoff to any of them. Although he does also pay off one of them, who like it's it's so it's so um, over the top in right. its level of genius and level of uh, everything being thought out that it it just it's just becomes like well it's a cartoon it's a cartoon it's mm. so over the top that i i I, you know. I just felt like other Soderbergh movies did aspects of this better. You know, Out of Sight did the cat and mouse thing way better. Ocean's Eleven did the heist elements better like by setting up this uh formidable villain. Um so I, I, it wasn't a bad film, like you said, Jeff. I don't hate. I don't hate it, you know. No, but I did think it's just it's not uh, upper tier Soderbergh for me. It's uh, it, for me. It was beneath all of the talent involved, but it also was kind of fun. 
Yeah, it was kind of fun. Kind of fun is exactly how I describe this movie. So, anyway, uh, Devendra liked it a lot more, and that's cool. Uh, if Logan Lucky's out in theaters right now, you should check it out. I think like none of us disliked it, so it's worth uh, worth watching. Uh, worth five... watching just for the Game of Thrones gag. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Five more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Uh, stay tuned to your. We'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime. Jeff Kanata, where can find more of your work on the internet this week? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, uh, and I've got two video game shows, a daily video game show, which I would love you, for you to check out. It's only 10 minutes a day. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it where you find this on iTunes and Google Play or at anchor.fm slash NLB. I also have a weekly video game show called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra Hardor? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. Find all of my stuff at davechen.net. Next week, we're going to be recording the epic conclusion to the summer movie wager. <laughs> uh, often one of our most requested episodes of the year. It's going to happen next week. Uh, so check out the summermoviewager.com or don't. Just listen to the podcast. Either way, it's going to be a lot of fun breaking that down next week. It's going to be fun. I, I predict it'll be a ton of fun. I think Find out the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Slashman.com. We're out. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks, for the good, slide bad. It's the Slashman.com. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 